This is Werewolf the Podcast, a podcast about the role-playing game, Werewolf the Apocalypse. Have you heard of high-level games? If you're a content creator looking to make your dream a reality, you need high-level games. High-level games does layout, editing, and development support such as Kickstarter and more. Even if you're not a creator and just want to enhance your game with exciting new supplements, go to highlevelgames.ca and check out Dark New England for V20. High-level games. We want to help you level up your role-playing game. Highlevelgames.ca Welcome to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. Before we get started, remember that there is a Patreon. If you want to be a patron of Werewolf the Podcast, I am happy to have you join us. You get to be a member of our Discord. You get some other cool benefits. There are lots of other folks there that are having great conversations about Werewolf and sometimes just going off on funny tangents that we enjoy. Today, we're doing something a little bit different. We're drilling down into a specific aspect of Werewolf uh, so that we can understand how it applies to your specific games. And I'm joined by a friend of mine, Dove, who is known as Dove Sunseed Sword from our game, A World of Rage. How are you doing today, Dove? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Josh? I'm great. Today is a wonderful day. So I'm glad we're here talking about this conver- this uh, topic of conversation. So... We're going to, like I said, we're going to drill down into something kind of specific. And that's, we're going to, this is one of those areas of werewolf that I, for whatever reason, missed for years, which is one of those things that happens in a role-playing game. You kind of get stuck in your lanes where your group plays or you as a storyteller are like, I'm comfortable running these types of stories, touching on these elements of the game books, but there's always more material than we have to really dig into that. So Today, we're going to be talking about codes and creeds of honor, wisdom, and glory, how those kind of tie into the overall legal system for werewolf built on the litany, with, of course, the litany being like a condensed version of like an entire law code that is an epic poem that takes four days to recite. So you're going to have a lot of nuance in there that isn't necessarily represented in the game text. And then we're going to talk a little bit about renown. So we've got a lot of different things to talk about, but I think they're all going to synchronize with one another. So Dove, tell us a little bit about the codes and creeds and why they are important to you and to the game. Absolutely. Uh, And by the way, you're not the only one who hasn't followed on the the codes and creeds. They're, They're in there. I looked at one of the older books just a little while ago before preparing for this episode, and they're there. But in my experience, no one talks about them. I have a feeling that there's a a receiving of them or the way they're written about in the book where they just, uh, by they I mean individuals reading the book, will skim through that area and then go straight to how do you get renowned. And the key element I find with the codes and creeds of honor, wisdom, and glory is they're directly tied to renown. But renown in the way it's displayed in the book is very specific. Now, if you read the, cont- the material that's provided for, it's, it's samples. There are examples of what you do to get X, Y, and Z, a tick on the chart for codes and creeds of honor, wisdom, and glory. But it doesn't really give you the, the context of what this stuff is. Um, so to sort of to elaborate on uh, that in specificity, 
I look at the litany as your, your Ten Commandments, as it were. This is the strictest form of code, and it is unfortunate that we don't have the four-day spiel on what goes behind the litany, but this is what we have. We have these 13 lines, and if you're not aware of the codes and creeds of honor, wisdom, and glory, there's a lot of, in my opinion, ways that these can be spun out of control and how they're interpreted. The codes and creeds really provide a window and a lens, if you will, to look at the litany and to interpret. Anyone playing a philodox, if you're listening out there, you should really bone up on the codes and creeds of honor and wisdom and glory. In just a few minutes, I'll you know I'll go over them more specifically. But this is how a good legal mind, or anyone really, will be able to interpret those 13 tenets. Do you think that the the tribal affiliation kind of has an impact too there on how the the codes and creeds work? Or do you think the codes and creeds are more like a cross Garu nation sort of thing? Well, I believe that at least from a structure of the way the books have been presented, including the tribe books, I love the way, and I, I truly mean this, I love the way that each of these tribe books have had a, well, this is how in general these tribes interpret the litany. But the codes and creeds, because they're tied to renown, are immovable. They're immovable in the way they're presented, but they're written in a way where they're very workable. And you can sort of have a back and forth, and it allows anyone looking at that litany to determine what's best for the situation at hand. So to answer your question, I think that comes back to that there's just not enough emphasis on the way the, the codes and creeds are presented. And I think that's been a failing in the published material because they're so important to really giving players a grasp of the context of what they're playing. Yeah, I agree. And what's interesting about that is they are referenced in every core book. I went back and verified. They're in first edition, second edition, revised, and in this W20 book that I have in front of me. And yet, uh, like I said before, I've never incorporated them because they don't then also get referenced in the tribe books or the supplement material or any of the other things where it's like, oh, a callback to this would be really helpful right now. So, you know, they're really helpful. I agree. It's just, you've got to go to the core to find them in all the other material that's around it, which can distract people. Yeah. I, I don't know if I had the magic wand, I don't know how I would better present this. I definitely think, and we've had conversations in the past about how renown as a, a system, not the concept. I think we all agree the concept of renown is solid. The system of it being a very gamey, get X amount of boxes ticked and you, and I put my fingers up, quote unquote, you level up. Eh, it really robs the player and the storyteller of the opportunity to really dive into the culture of uh, any Pharah, but specifically the If you look at this material through the more movable and mutable form of the way the codes and creeds are presented, when you do that, on the flip side of it being very creative and a, and, a, and a wonderful conversation piece to develop your character and their story, you also lose, I guess, that more defining do X to get Y. And I think that's 
probably the biggest stick in the mud for most people getting into this material. Yeah. To that, to that, to that end, I would go so far as to say, and and I'll put this out there: I'm predominantly associated with Werewolf the Apocalypse, um, but I would definitely say that to get invested in this uh, genre, this literature, as it were, it really requires a lot more preparation before you dive in, uh, which could be very daunting for new players. Yeah. I agree. One of the things that's true of Werewolf, as opposed to any of the other World of Darkness games, and I even include Mage in this, that all of them have a, I am coming from whatever culture, and then awakening, or embracing, or whatever, dying into a new culture. Happens in Changeling as well. Werewolf has an existing culture that, yes, you have your first change and you're suddenly like revealed into werewolf culture, but most games start after your first change and after your rite of passage where you've already been invested in werewolf culture to some degree. And that requires a little bit more reading and a little bit more shifting your own worldview to understand how werewolf culture works. And that is distinctly different because werewolf culture is significantly different than human cultures around the world. And that's not a bad thing. It's just a thing that people have to realize when they're crafting a game as a storyteller and creating characters as a player. Agreed, 100%. And I sort of say this as a broad brush statement. It's meant to be in jest, so no offense out there to anyone. But when I see uh, so many examples of werewolves in popular culture being like the bad boy the big alpha male beating his chest, looking to the, you know, the their shirts are off, ladies behind him, like, these are my mates, and blah, blah. When I see that sort of stuff, and he's riding, he, you know, he has his motorcycle jacket on, and he's riding around. When I see that sort of stuff, it's, it's really distracting from what Werewolf the Apocalypse is trying to convey. And, and I'm not trying to suggest that Werewolf the Apocalypse is by any means a, a puritanical story i'm not trying to water down that edginess but that is a weird stereotype that has developed out of i assume an aberration of werewolf the apocalypse originally into underworld into various other mediums out there that have just i don't know it's kind of deflated the sense of uh zealous duty that i believe werewolf the apocalypse instills yeah, religiosity in one form or another, yes, from a Garo perspective, is essential to playing this game as intended. And I hate to kind of throw that out there, but I think the world is designed so there is a spiritual element that should be a part of the story. Otherwise, you're not really hitting on all cylinders for telling a werewolf the apocalypse story. I, I agree 100% with that. There's a saying I, I often try to express to people to give them the mindset. Sometimes people get it, some people don't. But when you see a pack of guru, a pack of werewolves, you're basically looking at a group of Hasidic Jews that could tear you to bits with their arms. Th that's the level of uh, uh, religious uh, uh, devotion that is expected of them within that culture we were talking about. Um, 
And that, that's not to say that, oh, this tribe goes one way, this tribe goes another way, this is more progressive, this is more traditional. Those term, there's a lot of space in that to create on what that all means in all interpretations. There's, just as an analog to reality, there are so many different sects of Christianity, of the, the Vedic religions, Judaism, Islam. It's the same for this material. And as long as it has a common core you can grasp on, it gives you that sort of that definition to play from. Uh, and I guess that brings us back to the codes and creeds of honor, wisdom, and glory. Yep. Which let's dive in and kind of talk about them. Do you want to uh, read through them real quick or should I? Because I can read them off real quick. I've got them directly in front of me. Please go ahead. Okay. So these are set up so that there's a glory creed, a code of honor, and a creed of wisdom. And they're very short. They're just, uh, there are a couple of single sentences for each of them. But I think they're really helpful for steering your actions as a werewolf. So the glory creed is, I shall be valorous. I shall be dependable. I shall, I shall be generous. I shall protect the weak. I shall slay the worm. Interestingly enough, slay the worm is the last one of those, which I think is interesting for the way the litany is set up that's also lower down on the list of the litany. So yep. it's incredibly important, but it is not the, necessarily the central tenet of Geru-ness. Yep. Then you've got the code of honor. I shall be respectful. I shall be loyal. I shall be just. I shall live by my word. I shall accept all fair challenges. Again, very interesting in the way that it's set up. Creed of wisdom. I shall be calm. I shall be prudent. I shall be merciful. I shall think before I act and listen before I think. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's one of the... the if, you, if you hear those codes and creeds, you really, it, it really puts the player in a position to... If they really want to deviate from the, the expected behavior that your character is expected in this you know, in-world culture to behave with, you really have to stretch far. Um, and I know that the bad boy stereotype is real big. I know there's a lot of people out there who, you know, I'll disagree with them left and right. I don't think playing a Black Spiral dancer is appropriate, but there are people who will swear up and down that they lean on that. It goes completely contra to all this material. Um, there are a lot of individuals who I have experienced and seen who want to play the lost cup. Um, if I had the magic wand, I would never let that happen ever again. Too many bad experiences. But what you get with that sort of uh, play style is you lose act, uh, access to these codes and creeds. So if a situation were to arise where, and this is a perfect example I've heard several times, have a mass murderer and they're a human so they're not really you know they're not giving off a lot of worm taint uh they're able to move and navigate their life in a way where you as a garu really just they just slip under your nose unless you're really trying to hunt them down specifically but the vampire that runs the orphanage that's taking care of human children that isn't feeding on them that goes and acquires blood bags 
from a, a blood supply store or store, you know, the, the blood bank, whatever. Uh, you know, they don't hurt anybody. Their essence still triggers of uh, weaver and worm. Now, I've seen players play their Garu in such a way where they do the monster mash through the wall and take out that vampire because they'll look down that, that list of the litany and see, I shall, uh, you know, slay the worm uh, wherever it lives, wherever it breeds. And that's it. No questions asked. Oh, no, that's what it says. It says to do this. That's what I am. And I've also seen players who, in my opinion, which I believe is an incorrect understanding, but I've seen many players who believe that the Garu are creatures of the worm. And up and down, I disagree. I believe that Garu and humanity are beings at their most quantifiable position in a metaphysical spiritual universe are creatures of balance with attributes that allow them to lead in the direction of wild weaver worm or from a more broad perspective, dynamism, stasis, and entropy. The interesting thing to me there is that I think the Garu ultimately misunderstand their purpose to Gaia. Mm -hmm. And I think there are several reasons why I believe that. But one of the reasons is that Gaia already has enough destroy the, the, there are destroyers and warriors and all of that sort of stuff out there already the worm in balance does its duty correctly the werewolves don't need to get involved in that i think the werewolf's purpose was essentially to be guides between the spirit world and humanity and they have gone way beyond that purpose because they've forgotten what their essential place in the universe is which is, I think, is like these codes and creeds help you recenter them if you reinforce and bring them up and incorporate them into your story. Agreed. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. And to, to that essence, uh, a thought that came to mind is this has been, if you look at the history through the lens of Werewolf the Apocalypse, you have basically seen a supernatural coup a military coup on the order that was designed and like many coups in real life as an analogy it turns into if i may be so bold a shithouse wreck yep <laughs> yep absolutely and it's funny if you as a garu can say something like i shall be calm is a central tenet of garu culture and society that drastically changes actions in moots. It drastically changes actions in combat. It drastically changes in, there is a horrible thing in front of me that's making me angry. I should destroy it. If I shall become as a mantra that you should know and live by and the spirits respect and give you renown for, that changes how players play this game. Yes, yes. This is, it's very relevant to the idea of overcoming the circumstances which you were strapped with since you were born, since you had your first change. You have a connection to Gaia, to the world. We don't need to really get into the whole, the whole what is that, but to a Garu, that's God. That is 100% concrete proof in their 
as you said it, a religiosity-based view that God is real. There's no mystery to it. When they pray, things happen. They talk to spirits. It's all consistent with their dogmatic belief, and it's constantly in their lives. They can feel their connection to the other world through their gnosis, and they're also strapped with rage. And all of this, um, all the, the codes and creeds worked for them to gain mastery over themselves, to harness their rage. Note, it's not necessarily saying, oh, snuff out your rage, snuff out your bit. It's not doing that. It's, it's creating the platform, in my opinion, for a mindfulness, loyalty, duty to both yourself and to others instead of giving in to in my opinion, the same direction where the, the current tree out of the worm and the craziness going on at the Weaver has gone. Just reckless lack of design. Just complete uh, a complete mess, as it were. But yep. with this at your core, you can develop a community that is both insular, but also uh, cooperative. Exactly. One of the things that I see reflected in this is, again, real-world religious elements. In, in this case, I'm going to lean on Buddhism to just say that Buddha and uh, other teachers encourage finding a middle path. And Garu yes. are also have these ideas of finding a middle path. That, yes, we are creatures of rage and fury, and we are at war to protect ourselves and the world. But at the same time, we have to find their version of a middle path where they can interact in the world in a healthy way. And as they gain rank, this is something I just found out today while I was rereading this section to have this conversation, you gain a benefit as you gain rank against frenzy checks, which I was like, yep genius of course you would because you have spent time learning how to control yourself exactly self-control awareness mindfulness even the mechanics play into the, the 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 context as it were the mode of play and what this supports um but it's it, it, it what it does effectively in my opinion for world building is it shows that you will probably very rarely find members of the fourth rank barely ever find members of the fifth rank because this is it's so common now for in my opinion and again i'm not this is a broad brush statement i'm not declaring this is the rule but i've not seen uh, many players uh live up to these expectations um not that by the way and again broad brush statement not that you can't have your own internal drama in growth. I think that's essential for good storytelling uh, and player uh, characters. But know what you're getting involved with out of character. Know what's expected of you. And that, I think the old adage is the nail that sticks out will be hammered in. Yep. Yep. The interesting question as a storyteller you have to ask yourself in reference to these sorts of things is if you are playing a classic go and just beat up the worm constantly and come back to the sept and have a big moot and celebrate your renown awards is how 
following these creeds and codes, how are the spirits actually going to look at you and provide that renown that you are supposed to get? I think, I think storytellers sometimes forget that the spirits are the ones that bestow renown through your, through the acknowledgement of the sept around you. It's a, it's a animistic, like dualistic relationship between the culture itself and the spirits agreeing. Yeah, this is what you get. And I think that's a really integral thing to remember. I agree with that. I find that the, the idea that the spirits are always watching is sometimes a very difficult concept for players to take on with Garu. And this can come in part with that maybe they're rushed through their being uh, brought into playing World of the Apocalypse. They don't really have a concept for spirituality or that more animist uh, idea, um, this dualist world that exists out there and i i can definitely you know sympathize and in my experience i try very hard to share this concept but unfortunately it sometimes does not stick yep. so with that said i think it's well agreed by most uh storytellers out there or at least the most prominent i guess authority behind world of the apocalypse is all your behaviors all your actions, they're all being watched from the bit of dirt you stepped on to step onto the road to the spirit in the tree to the spirit in the wind. So when you did a no-no, and we don't need to get into what that could be, but it could be many things, something saw it and somehow the word will get back, which funny enough, I've seen some situations where I've had players who would have disagreements with me because, oh, no one should have known what I was doing. Well, if you're actively trying to conceal that you're doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing, that's even worse. Yeah. That's and, <laughs> and hard when there's literally a constantly aware spirit world around you that is watching you because you stand out against the dullness of everything else that they otherwise witness. Come on. It is really hard as a werewolf to not have a spirit see you to whatever it is you're going to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I could say that perhaps even the way in which the, the Umbra or a spirit world in general and spirits existing as literally a, 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 an idea given form in that context of a spiritual or non-material world, that that's so difficult to grasp for some people that the idea that you could have a character who can become so well in esteem and high in rank that they have a degree of mastery over that world can also be very difficult. I've had people come to me and tell me, oh, how powerful and great an Arun of a high rank is. Oh, I want to be the fighting one. I'm a get Fenris Arun. Well, if you get a Theurge to any particular rank, technically, and if you have an SD who understands between the lines that not every power just comes from a gift, but from literally summoning a spirit through a right, a good theurge could level a city. Yep. No questions asked. Yeah, absolutely. The, the classic style of this game, and again, this is a totally valid way to play it, is a pack gets together, they see an enemy, they go and destroy it, this destroy it, they walk away, and that's great. But 
you get into so much nuance when you say when the world is alive and you take these actions, those have repercussions. Those repercussions have repercussions. You have this butterfly effect. That world is responding to you on all levels, spiritual, physical, emotional, and you've got to kind of deal with all of those levels. So when you have those spirit interactions, they can, they can have all of these myriad different effects. What I think is um, some people get like, oh, what, what about the Black Spiral Dancers? And this is going to be a, a thing I think some people, from what I said before, would react to. How do they get away with hiding things? Like, they get away with hiding because the spirits that they work with actively either destroy other spirits to hide their actions, or they corrupt them, or they have other gifts that allow them, actual gifts or spiritual like benefits that allow them to hide from the other spirits in the world. If that's, I, that's my take. If I, if I may, in regards to the, the Black Spiral Dancers, my understanding of them is if we were to look at the litany as more or less a, in the, a big social and spiritual agreement on the way in which Garu not only conduct themselves in behavior, but also in relation with spirits, with themselves so it's not only a social construct uh, uh, construct and a contract but it also defines their power scaling through the ages as they as they increase and gain that rapport for black spirals they have the dark living so they have another agreement. now i don't disagree with you i am i would absolutely bet that they're the ones that they're having that agreement with are either Banes themselves are corrupted versions of spirits, which that's a weird area to get into. What's the difference between a bane and a corrupted? But anyway, I would not doubt that they have their own form of codes and creeds. I I'm, don't spend too much time reading up on the Black Spiral Dancers because I find them to be so odious um, and truly antagonistic. However, I would not put it in their own perverse way of viewing the world that they have their own... Uh, concept that's the the shattered image of honor wisdom and glory that allows them to move up the ranks in their own sort of way yeah i think what's possible also and this is controversial so i will accept if anyone wants to push back on this i think to some degree they keep a similar social contract to the garu with the spirits with lots of spirits which is why at times they get away with things because the spirits are saying, as long as you are doing the things we've agreed with and you're following the letter of the law, there is a bureaucratic nature to the spirit world present as presented in the uh, in Werewolf the Apocalypse. So they're in this weird state where they are doing things the wrong way, but in a way that sometimes obfuscates them because they're still upholding certain elements of the agreement. And I, that's like... That's a place that storytellers can play with. You know, people can disagree with me. I think it's totally valid. I just think that's just, that's an interesting thought process if you want to present the BSDs in a, in a living sort of way in your games. I can definitely see that, especially from a more meta view. Uh, obviously, I don't condone the playing of a Black Spiral Dancer. Sure. But if you wanted to look at that from a meta view, it's just a sort of an analogy you have an algal bloom starting to form in a pond and it's going to kill everything. 
Garu are the ones that put a little bit of uh, chlorine in there, and the Black Spiral is the ones that just dump the whole truck of chlorine in there and kill off everything. Right. Um, yeah, it's it's that's a question that that storytellers should at least spend a few moments if they're going to use the Black Spiral dancers as antagonist. Consider how renowned in spirit connections and these codes and creeds that we're mentioning over and over again. They have them. They think about them. They're corrupted. They're twisted. But that's going to play a part in their culture, which is a dark reflection on the rest of Garu culture. So a thing to consider, you know, if you're going to present them. But um, beyond that, Dove, yes. how, how would you say, okay, I want to incorporate these things into my storytelling are there any specific like story hooks or ideas that come to mind that you're like, I want to use these? So something that immediately comes to mind, and I do have to give the nod to By Night Studios and their implementation of uh, Renown. They strongly support a more group-oriented acknowledgement system for the giving of Renown. Now, in some groups, that might not seem appropriate because you can get clicks, you can get the whole, I don't like this guy out of character. I don't like that guy out of character. I get it. And that's where you have a storyteller step in. But under the best circumstances, it's a way for a group working together, a pack as it were, to acknowledge one another in character, in play, so that theoretically these characters are living up to what their ideals are. You're considering, what does it mean that I'm an aura? What do I have to do? How do I show myself and be the best possible Arun I can be in service to Gaia? It, it doesn't mean losing control and going nuts, just breaking everything up. No, you need to be uh, true to what your glory is asking of you, what your honor is asking of you, what your pack is asking of you. You're going to go and because you go flying off the handle because you let your rage take control of you and put everybody else in danger, it it makes a lot of sense, in my opinion, under that context. Um, and that I, I lean back towards what we had said earlier. It's, it's very important to when you distinguish the litany in relation with the codes and creeds of honor, wisdom, and glory, that you don't allow your definition or your interpretation to fall into a static black or white. This is an ever-changing and dynamic reinterpretation. And absolutely, one could have precedence, of course. But not every interpretation needs to be exactly the same. It's a living, breathing thing. And to that end, so I've kind of deviated a little bit. I do strongly believe that the group uh, acknowledgement of renown is very important. I also believe it's the storyteller's duty to also appropriate uh, renown uh, as more or less the fingers behind the spirits watching you in play. So I think it's a two-part system. But I do believe, and again, I know it's not always like this. I know that sometimes your groups could be bad. I happen to be with a wonderful group of people in Josh's game. But it, it is, it's a very valuable thing to be acknowledged by your, uh, your, your compatriots, both critiquing your failings and your successes. Because what is it to fail but an opportunity to rise? And I think that goes hand in hand 
with what the codes and creeds are trying to have you do to be your best possible self. Yes. That is one of the things that I think is particularly useful to use these as. One of the things that we know now about wolf culture is that wolf packs are usually family units and the leaders, the alpha so-called, are usually the uh, the adult male and the the uh, the adult female that are the kind of the breeding pair, and they're really strong about helping protect and um, care for every member of their family, in a way that sometimes they uh, they encourage them on to action by you know pushing them when otherwise they're holding back and things like that. These lines are a great moment to have a member of your pack turn to one another and say. The code of honor says, I shall be respectful. In this moment, you are not being respectful to the other members of your pack, or you were not being respectful earlier to X, Y, and Z leader at the sept. How can we do better? It gives you so many like story options to do that. You can have NPCs do it. You can have other players do it. These are just like building bonds using these little words is so easy and so yes. interesting, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, it's, it, it really is an opportunity, not just to, you know, I have a friend who used to talk about the difference between role play, R-O-L-E, and role play, R-O-L-L. And this is really an opportunity to really punch up the, the former. And in a way, and with the ST obviously guiding this, to allow it to benefit your character mechanically, while also developing the character as a character. Give it something more than, well, I have a tragic past and I'm going to let it all out in game because uh, this idea is sitting in the back of my head and maybe it's trauma related. Maybe it's, eh, I, I just, ah, I want to be something different than I feel like in real life or blah, 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 blah. Eh, I mean, look, a lot of us have been through that stage, yep. but like any good actor, you take what's in you and you take the material you're presented with and you use it to create something better. Yep, absolutely. That striving to be better, different, grow. I talked about this in another episode that's probably going to release around this. Maybe it's come up before, maybe it'll come out afterward. I don't know. But that to me is the essential aspect of role-playing games. I know it's not always for everybody, but like that path to inter-person growth is super yes. essential. And I think these help you do that. The idea of renown helps you do that because you can track this as like a, as a Galliard or as other members of your pack, you can be like, all right, I reinforce that the thing you just did was I, in keeping with I shall be just or I shall protect the weak. Those are glory points and honor points that we're going to track and saying it out loud allows you to acknowledge it and tally it down for later, for later use. Uh, agreed a hundred percent. I'm just looking over now the sample renown awards here, and I can easily see that the, the intent was here. Uh, but without grinding that against glory, honor, wisdom, it's, it's void. It's just here. Here's the first one. Combat encounters, besting someone, including a spirit, in a riddle contest. Does that really need to be written down 
to that you'll get awarded three wisdom for that. That's that should be a given. And I know it does say sample, but I've not seen the sample list uh, uh, live in the idea of it just being a sample. I've seen the sample list become the list. Yeah, because sometimes, and this just happens, sometimes players and storytellers get stuck on this idea that it's in the book this is the thing i'm going to use it and sometimes i'm not going to say that's a that's a lack of imagination sometimes it's just a sense of i've got to stick to this otherwise i don't know what i'm doing and anxiety happens and i respect that but recognize that everything between the uh, front cover and the back cover is a suggestion and you can play with make add to and grow everything within it there are some things that inside the the pages of this book they're like you probably shouldn't do x y and z but if it works for your story break the rules in ways that engage your players and you in something you're enjoying gaining something from whatever it is that you're getting out of role playing i agree something of note i think of the uh and i and i i will be very careful with how i use the term the middle breed of the Garu, since I know that uh, the, the former word is offensive and we had a conversation about what that might be akin to, which makes it even crazier and more offensive, especially under today's context. But the, the middle breed, the hybrid, if you will, I can see a wonderful story, very powerful story, dramatic, but also powerful, where you are the product of a sin. You are the product of two Garu who have made it. And you are looked at as a constant reminder that, one, the litany is very real. If anything, I would go so far as to say that that's the one line of the litany that is completely immutable. You do this, this is what's going to happen. But then you watch that individual grow and follow glory, honor, and wisdom and rise in the ranks. It's, in my opinion, the true underdog story. Not to be too punny with the fact that we're playing as wearables, but I see so much creative potential with that sort of story. Instead of it's just, oh, it's the monster mash, and they go slamming through the wall, the Kool-Aid man style. You know, there's, there's just so much creativity here. I think the part that makes this kind of difficult for a lot of people is it leans maybe a little too far into an orthodox style of thought. I know that with all the progression that we've had as a society in the West today, uh, we've gotten much better at working with others uh, with acceptance and whatnot, but I believe that it's almost become passe to take a lot out on organized religion. Uh, I don't see this as a one-for-one one with that. You don't need to have a one-for-one one with some organization to not look into it and take the, the philosophy, the wisdom, the, the, the way in which an individual should live by that grows and strengthens them as a person and as a community. I don't see that being an issue. And when I look at this material, clearly, whoever wrote the codes and creeds of honor, wisdom, and glory, and like you said, this has been with werewolves since the beginning. 
they must have had something in mind. Whether it's a, a Judeo-Christian concept or something more, it really does not matter. The, the words themselves are sound. They're clear. Yeah, they, they are. And they act potentially as a backbone for a realistically designed cultural element. Yes. And I think what happens so often in Werewolf is that these micro cultures that should exist around seps and within tribes and so forth are just flat on the page because things like this aren't incorporated fully into understanding how that culture would express itself in a realistic sort of way. Real cultures build up all the time be based on the creation of internal and external elements of identity. And these are both of those things. They allow you to say, this is how we act inside. And these are things that push you to the outside of our culture. We need to utilize those as storytellers and players to help us ground and center ourselves in the world so we're getting the most out of it, I think. I, I agree with that as well. I realize I've been saying I agree with you quite a bit uh, on this episode. Um, just to sort of give an example, when I and love of my life, my significant other, Asia Stalks of Shadows, were running a sept online, when people would walk into the town of Gavadon in Louisiana, they would see the bed and breakfast. And what would they see on the bed and breakfast? If they were a kinfolk, a garu, or someone in the know, they might notice the glyphs. But the biggest thing they'll notice is the American flag, the Israeli flag, the Lebanese flag, the gay pride flag, and the trans pride flag. People who are coming into this from having seen the the big, burly, motorcycle-driving, smack-my-chest-where-are-my-bitches type of mentality. They come in, they see that, and then a very nebbish Adrian Brody-looking guy comes out to shake their hand, squawk, awk, and, and, and welcome them, If he obviously, if he knows that they're part of the vet, the vera. Uh, it, it, it changes the dynamic uh, inherently from that whole... Uh, macho man style of play which not to say that there's not a there's not room for that but under the context of which it gives you something more to stand for yeah and it and it, and it transcends it transcends uh gender it transcends ethnicity it transcends all that it gives a common unified code of which one can live with yeah and those creation of microcultures, I I said this, but re reinforcing what you're saying too, those creation of microcultures within your stories, that's essential. Like every sept or location should feel slightly different because they're all creating their own communities within the greater community of, you know, Farah or Garu or whatever that you're connecting to. Um, all of that, I think, is essential to good creation of stories within the world of darkness, within Werewolf the Apocalypse. Yeah, and and in a way, that's actually even reinforced. I can't quite recall which page it mentions it, but there is a third body of law that's very fluid. It's, they're called the Ways of the Sept, and the way they really consider what those are, that's more or less in-house rules 
what really distinguishes your set from other sets. And, you know, in our circumstance, uh, you know, we in Gavadon, Louisiana, you know, we were very progressive leaning, but not too far so. We held to the traditions, but we followed them through the lens of Owl, through Raven, and through in my opinion, a, a modern view, but not Glasswalker modern, which, you know, if you know me, I'm very critical of the Glasswalkers, but that's another story. Um, so yeah. that, that ties into something, and uh, for me, from, from my religious tradition, in that we believe in reconstruction of a heathen worldview is really essential to understanding how heathenry was practiced, in the ancient era and it, how it should inform how we do it today. However, it's more about the why and less about the how. And when we see something that we're like, we, I understand this particular why of how to behave or act within this cultural context, but today the how of how I express that may be entirely different because there are other whys that inform it as well. So use that sort of thing in Werewolf. It's the same sort of idea. There are these traditions. They're really important. They inform everything you do, but how you actually activate them or present them is going to be different because there are other things that have happened, other experiences that play a role in how you express those in your day-to-day -day life. It, it's funny that you say that. The word that comes to mind, and I have used this in the past when describing uh, the belief of my character, Dove, um, I see him as a fundamentalist Corax. He's not really deviating from the laws of Raven. It's all very clear, and he's working through that in the modern world. And in its own way, codes and creeds are fundamental. Mm-hmm. It's the ignoring of them or even the not being aware of them. That's the deviation. So, and I know in real world talk, I mean, the word fundamentalist, blah, 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 is a little touchy. But under the guise of this particular literature, I think it's an appropriate direction, uh, at least to get a player started with this material. Especially if they're new to Werewolf the Apocalypse. If they're coming in from Vampire... Um, or Mage, or any other uh, game, you know, it's the same universe. But these characters in this context have a very different view of the world and a very different uh, starting point in the way they perceive the world. Stick with the fundamentals. It's, it's pretty good. And if you do want to make a character that goes the other way, have that conversation with your storyteller. But if I may be so bold... Don't let that be your first foray into Werewolf the Apocalypse. Stick with the basics and then then create. For sure. You have to understand what it is you're rebelling against before you can rebel against it effectively. Yep. So I think that is a great place to leave this conversation. This has been absolutely wonderful. Um, for listeners, please, again, check out the Patreon. It's super helpful. If you, It helps keep the, light, the lights on, as it were. And otherwise, you know, go out there, buy some books, enjoy this game, play it. I encourage you to play World of the Apocalypse if you haven't yet. Find a group online. There are tons of them doing great things over Zoom and other sorts of things like that. 
And until we actually get an answer to the question of when will you rage, we'll talk to you again next time.